brother and a younger sister. And uh, my younger sister and I always uh, got along and were best friends. And my younger brother and I did not always get along <laughs> or were best friends. I remember fighting over the remote control for the TV. Um, he, uh, he would want to change the channel and we, I would have the remote control and I would sit with the remote control in the corner of the couch and kick my feet like this so he couldn't get close. But then if we wanted to change the channel, he would stand in front of the receiver so even though you press the button, nothing would happen. <laughs> nothing would happen. I don't know if you have a younger brother. He's four years younger than me. He didn't get taller than me until I was um, 16. But even so, I think he could take me from the time I was about seven or eight. <laughs> he almost always won um, the fights. And uh, he was, um, uh, I don't know if you ever had this, but I always kept the best things to last. So if I was given cookies, I would keep my favorite ones to last. And so in my room, I would have some cookies with just my favorite ones left, and I would come in and they would be gone. <laughs> And I used to do um, babysitting, and uh, I kept my money from babysitting in my uh, drawer, and I would come in and it would be gone. <laughs> and uh, my, um, my uh, brother, he was uh, pretty mad about some stuff that happened, and he'd often uh, take it out on me and be pretty angry. Um, and so I was uh, pretty hurt from that. Um, even though he was young, you know, I was pretty hurt from that. And we didn't really get along uh, very well until I moved away to university <laughs> and didn't live with him anymore. <laughs> and uh, that's when we started getting along. And um, when I was in the school of ministry, we did this inner vows uh, session. And uh, they said, you know, pray and ask God if you've made any inner vows. And so I prayed and asked God, did I make any inner vows? And he showed me this inner vow that I made. And it went like this. When I get married and have children, if the boys are going to be like my brother, I don't want boys. It's not a good vow. <laughs> and so um, I repented, you know, of um, that vow and, and told God I was so sorry and we broke it. And I blessed my brother, who I now pretty much got along with because I didn't live with him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the next weekend, uh, my brother was driving me somewhere and uh, he said, Amanda, um, I want to ask your advice on something. I said, what? Who are you? If I ever gave advice, he would be like, I don't want your advice. If I want your advice, I'll ask for it. Like, <laughs> what do you know? You don't know anything anyway. <laughs> you know? But he asked my, for my advice about something. I was like, okay. And then he apologized to me. I only remember one other time in my life when my brother apologized to me. He apologized to me and then he gave me money for the missions trip I was like dear God do I have any other inner vows that I can break right now because I want to do it <laughs> like, it was so great it was so great and I have to tell you like my brother and I are really really good friends and I love his wife and I love his three boys he has three boys <laughs> You know, and like we talk and he's growing in his faith and asks questions. And I have to say, if God never did any other thing in my life, the miracle of my restored relationship with my brother would be enough for me to believe he's God and he does miracles. 
Like, I, I really thought my brother was going to end up in jail. I thought I would probably never talk to him. Like, really such a miracle, such a miracle. I'm so grateful for my relationship with him and for the teaching of breaking inner vows and for God working in his life. So an inner vow. Um, an inner vow is a way that we learn to respond to negative words or experiences or situations. And we make inner vows to protect ourselves. Inner vows are determinations and statements, directives made by our minds and our heart early in life on how we want our life to operate. They are more powerful but less common than bitter root judgments, which we talked about. The function of inner vows are to hold us to feel and to think and to act in a specific way. If an inner vow is made in childhood, it resists the normal maturing process. They refuse change and they don't disappear as we grow older and mature. And I have to tell you, um, some inner vows that are really common that I've heard all the time is, I will never be like my mom. I will never be like my dad. I will never drink like my dad. I will never yell like my mom. Never is a big word in inner vows. <laughs> you know, I will not grow up. That's, that's a big one. That's, that's a big one. Um, I will never show anyone my heart again. Yeah, that's a really big one. I will never let another man hurt me like that. I will never let another woman hurt me like that. Big, big inner vows. I will never get angry. Oh, and here's one. I will never cry again. I will never cry again. These are vows that we make, you know, to protect ourselves. I will never show anyone my true emotions. I will never share my true dreams. I'm not going to dream again. You know, inner vows are hidden. We don't even know we've made them. I certainly didn't know that I made that one about my brother. It was a surprise, sort of, <laughs> when God showed it to me. You know, they're hidden in our hearts, deep in there, protecting us. And they produce negative fruit. My inner vow kept me from an open relationship with my brother kept me from receiving good things from him. You know, um, I will never let another man hurt, hurt me like my dad did. It keeps us from uh, intimacy with our husbands. I will never uh, drink like my father did. You know, the thing about inner vows is <laughs> they give power to the enemy, you know? And the things that you say you're not going to do, we do. I'm never going to yell at my kids like my mom yelled at me. You know, I'm I'm never gonna, um, you know, that kind of thing. And it it's, it comes out. So Romans two verse one says, "You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other." You are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. 
Okay, so how do we break an inner vow once we know we have them? How do we break them? We ask the Holy Spirit, right? Please reveal to me the inner vow. So I'm sure he's been speaking to you even as I've been talking, right? So Holy Spirit, would you reveal the inner vows that we have made? God's just bringing to my mind the inner vow that children make. I'm not going to trust my parents again. So when we're looking for inner vows, we can look again at patterns, right? Is there a pattern in my life that helps reveal inner vows? So the second thing we do is we confess and ask forgiveness, right? We confess the vow and um, also the sin that's associated with the vow and uh, forgive those who contributed us making the vow. And the hard part, forgiving ourselves for the wasted years. After um, my brother and I started um, having a relationship again, I started feeling so sad for all those years I had missed with good relationship with him. Like, 10, 15 years where we could have had a good relationship. And, you know, I was reading um, at that time through Joel, and I came to Joel 2, I think 25 or 28, and it says, I will restore the years the locust has stolen from you. And God spoke and said, I'm going to restore those years that you lost with your brother. You know, I had to forgive myself. <laughs> and then we renounced the vow. Breaking a vow must be done in the authority of Jesus' name. So we don't just pray, Lord, please take away that vow, but we say, I break the vow in Jesus' name. Okay. So we're going to pray that now. So uh, you can just pray after me. Okay, so you can pray after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross, that there is forgiveness and cleansing from all my sin. I confess that I have made a vow. And now tell the Lord what the vow was. And I ask you to forgive me. I choose to forgive and name the people that contributed to making the vow. And anyone else, oh, and you can repeat, and anyone else who contributed to my making that vow, I release them into the freedom of my forgiveness. I choose to forgive myself for the ways I responded to the vow I made. I forgive myself, and then name the things to the Lord you forgive yourself for.
and I ask you to help me be free of the effects and consequences of this vow that has been part of my life. Okay, so I renounce the vow of and say the vow. In Jesus' name, by the power and authority of Jesus, I break this vow. I release my spirit, soul, and body to no longer remember it. You are free, restored to your original design. Or I suppose say I. I am no longer required to feel and think and act according to this vow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I bless you to receive money from those people. <laughs> or whatever blessing it is God has for you. <laughs> okay, so we're moving over uh, to uh, strongholds and walking in the light. So uh, my friends, friends of the family, have a cottage up north, and uh, they have uh, a cabin outside the cottage that's just like a bunkhouse where people can sleep. Inside the cottage, they have a bathroom, but the bunkhouse, beside the bunkhouse, there's an outhouse if they don't want to come into the cottage to use the bathroom at night. And so they had a friend who was staying there, a woman who was using the bunkhouse, and it was really hot in the middle of the summer. And so she was sleeping nude there, and she had to go to the bathroom. And she was like, well, nobody's going to see me, just the raccoons, you know. So she, she decided that she would just quickly sneak out of her bunkhouse into the outhouse. So she snuck out of the bunkhouse, but she didn't know that they had motion detector lights. <laughs> so as soon as she stepped out, all the raccoons could see everything. <laughs> she was walking in the light. <laughs> Not exactly what we're talking about, but <laughs> I like the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we're talking about walking the light in strongholds, and um, uh, I'm sure many of you know um, the story of Vimy Ridge is a part of Canada's history and about a stronghold. And so in World War I, uh, in 1917, the German forces were holding Vimy Ridge, and uh, the Canadian forces, it was their job to take the ridge. And so what they did was they had the artillery shoot a barrage, a uh, barrage of um, bullets and uh, all the other stuff. I don't know if they had cannons. I don't know what they had. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the, the artillery shot and for a while just bombarded the enemy. And then the infantry would move forward. And then they would do it again. They would shoot the barrage. And then the infantry would move forward. And so this is how the Canadian forces took Vimy Ridge. Um, and that was the first time that Canada as a nation had um, fought in a war under the name Canada, not under um, the uh, UK flag. And it was the first time that we had won a battle as a country. And so we took the ridge and held it. And what happened was then uh, the Allies were able to take uh, the land farther into France because the high ground of Vimy Ridge protected them before the German forces could shoot down at the, all the armies. But when they took it, that um, 
they had the stronghold there and it allowed other people to uh, go forward. Right? So this was uh, really important in Canada's history because it established Canada as a nation um, that was serious, that had skills, that was a force to be reckoned with, really. You know, that was the stronghold. And so strongholds are like that. You know, strongholds are, um, they can be good and they can be bad, right? There's good strongholds and bad strongholds. And so often the enemy shoots a barrage of negative thoughts, of circumstances, of, you know, and we back up and he takes ground and he shoots a barrage, you're not worth it, you can't do it, it'll never happen, what are you even trying, and we back up, you know? And soon, the enemy has a stronghold in our life. So um, when, uh, I remember one time talking with my parents and telling them, you know, if somebody said to me that my parents don't love me, I would laugh at them, because I know you guys love me. But if somebody said to me, God doesn't love you, I probably wouldn't laugh. I would say, well, yes, he does. You know, I wasn't completely sure that God loved me. That wasn't a stronghold in my life. My parents' love, stronghold in my life. You know, a godly stronghold. That God loved me, the enemy had a stronghold there. You know, and um, as the renewal happened and I went to the meetings and um, got healed and received teaching about the Father's love, I became more and more convinced of the Father's love for me. And I felt his love. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that this church is known for. We have a stronghold of the Father's love. It is a stronghold. We are safe in the Father's love. We are confident of it. We have lots of teaching. People experience it. And people come from other places because we protect them as well. Right? Just like the Canadian Army was, had the stronghold of Vimy and they protected the other armies as they advanced, we have the stronghold of the Father's love here and people can advance in the kingdom when they come and receive the Father's love. You know? And uh, I, I have the stronghold of now of knowing that I'm beautiful. You know, I really love the show What Not to Wear. And what I love about it is the people look so bad at the beginning and everyone looks beautiful at the end. I tell you, they can take anyone and make them beautiful. And I think, you know, when I share my story about God telling me that uh, I'm beautiful, I'm just so confident that God made everyone beautiful. You know, in our culture, in our society, you know, lighter skin is more beautiful and no, uh, you know, high nose and big eyes. And, but that's not God. God didn't say, oh, I'm going to give this person big eyes because they're beautiful and this person small eyes because they're not. Or, you know, like, it, he loves how he made us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so as this stronghold is in my life and, I'm a, and I can share it with people and then people are able to advance in how they feel about themselves. You know, this is a stronghold God wants us to have, you know, of his love for us, of his desire to heal us, of his faithfulness and trustworthiness. You know, this is the stronghold. So today, what we want to do is we want to cut off every curse and bondage of the old man where um, there's a stronghold in our life that's ungodly, where we're not sure of God's love, where we have sin that we can't get rid of, where we don't trust God. You know, there's very all these various strongholds, right? We want to cut them off. Okay, so sin. Sin is never an isolated affair. 
it always affects others. So we think that we're, nobody will know. You know, it won't matter. Nobody will know. But it does, you know, with David and Bathsheba, when he slept with Bathsheba, it ended up that he killed Uriah, and then there were curses in his family, you know, where uh, the um, prophet said to him, you know, well, the prophet asked him, you know, told him a story, you know, this man had only one sheep, and this other man had a whole bunch of sheep, and the man with a whole bunch of sheep took the one sheep. What should the punishment be? And David said, four sheep for the one. And he had four sons who rebelled against him. You know, it affected his sons, affected his family, affected him. And uh, sin always leads to other sin. Uh, when I was a teenager, we had a pastor at our church who was like, he was an intern pastor while we were looking for one. He was like 70 or 80 years old. He seemed like he was 110 to me when I was 12. And he had a favorite theme. His favorite theme was, your sins will find you out. <laughs> that was his favorite theme. And he told this story about when he was a kid. I'm sure he was a kid in 1910. Like, and he like telling us this story. And so his sister had a doll, and he stole his sister's doll because they had a fight or whatever, and he buried it in their backyard. And his mom asked him, did you take your sister's doll? And then the sin of stealing led to the sin of lying. And he said, no, I didn't. But what he didn't know was that the doll was filled with corn seeds, and so in the spring, corn began to grow <laughs> in their backyard. <laughs> and he was found out, just like you also shall be, was his message to us. <laughs> sin leads to other sin is the point, though. Sin leads to other sin. <laughs> Oh, no, if I was Trevor or Alicia or Kev, I would come right back with a... <laughs> yeah. So strongholds are especially powerful when they're secret sin. You know, the woman at the well had secret sin, and she was trying to talk to Jesus about worshiping on the mountain, and he said, you know, you have no husband, but you're living with a man... Well, you've had so many husbands, but you're now living with a man who's not your husband. You know, secret sin really holds us. You know, David and Bathsheba had secret sin. And I have to say, in my experience in ministering, secret sins are probably 90% sexual, which come with shame. And it's sort of a cycle because it's a secret and there's shame, and so it's a secret and so there's shame, and it just goes on and on and on. And so today we really want to break you know, that powerful cycle, and replace it with a godly, powerful cycle instead. Secret sins also have a root in pride, because we don't want people to know how we sin, and how we feel, um, you know, we feel really shame, and we feel horrible, and, um, you know, we, we don't want even God, or we don't want to admit it to ourselves. we don't want God to know it, you know, we don't want anyone to know it. You know, we just don't want people to know. And that leads to um, a door to the enemy. You know, Adam and Eve, they wanted to have, um, be like God in their knowledge, you know, and it, it, it led to fall, led to 
pride led to fall. Okay, so we're going to read um, from Romans 6, I believe you have there, uh, about the cross. And what, is the, what does the Bible say about sin and about who we are and what to do about it? So we're reading Romans 6, verse 1 to 2, and then 6 to 7, and then 11 to 16. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, and you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So this is so hopeful for me. <laughs> so hopeful. So it says that because of the cross, sin's power is broken. Right? So the power is broken. And that's the thing about strongholds and hidden sin and shame. It's the power. It's the power of it. You know, and when we know that sin's power is broken, it's done on the cross, just the knowledge helps us out. And we can take our faith, you know, the mustard seed of faith that God gave us, actually a measure, he gave us a measure, we only need a mustard seed, he gave us a whole measure of faith, it's our, our gift, you know, from God. We take our faith that we have and we say sin's power is broken, and there's power in that, you know, to break the power of the sin. And our sin-loving nature is dead and buried. And Christians are not under sin's control. Thank you, Jesus. Christians share Christ's nature. Christians are to reckon themselves to be dead to sin and alive to God, and we're not to let sin control us. And we are to give ourselves completely to God, and we are free and no longer in bondage or imprisoned to the past. And it's so true, like, you know, Sin, like when we sin, when we have those strongholds in our life, those cycles that go on, we are truly slaves to that sin. Really, the enemy has that stronghold, and we are slaves to him in that area. You know, But this says that that does not have to be the case, that we have chosen Jesus as our master, because everyone has a master, and we have chosen ours. And if you don't choose, you get the enemy. There's only two choices. Jesus or the enemy. We've chosen Jesus. We do not have to be slaves to sin anymore. It's just so hopeful. And especially because this weekend and throughout our lives, we've been going through healing, and the healing just frees us up even more that when we get to this point, we can say, no, we're going to break that, and it comes off because of the work we've done this weekend, because of the work we've done in our lives. You know, and because of the cross. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for the cross for doing all this stuff that we just couldn't do, you know, that, that we were dead before and alive now, and uh, uh, that he made a way for us. 
So a stronghold is something that holds us strongly. And in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5, Paul says, For though we walk in flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pull down strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, God gives us weapons to pull down strongholds. You know, the weapons of prayer, the weapons of repentance, the uh, weapons of reading the Bible, the weapons of healing, uh, the weapons of joy and peace and resting in his presence. You know, these are all weapons that we've been given to pull down strongholds. My, one of my favorite weapons is my prayer partner, Karen. <laughs> Karen helps me walk in the light. You know, um, uh, when I was younger, I used to think that I had to, uh, if I was going to confess a hidden sin, that just everyone had to know it or it would still be hidden. <laughs> but now I know that the people who I sinned against, if I repent to them, and if my prayer partner or one or two other people know that I'm then walking in the light. And so there's some things I haven't done because I don't want to confess to Karen on Sunday night when we pray that <laughs> I did it <laughs> again. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's so great because Karen, like one of the weapons also is that Karen shows me God's love. She knows the absolute most horrible things about me ever that nobody else knows. And she loves me. Like she is so loving of me and accepting of me and helping me to change and, you know, asks me the hard questions. And that's just such a great weapon that God gave me as Karen, who I fight beside, you know, uh, it's just a side thing, but, you know, uh, David talks about his mighty men, and he lists them, and they're listed in the same order in the two different places, and I think they're listed in the order in which they fought. I think they fought beside the people that they're listed beside, and you get to fight beside those people. So the people that I pray with all the time uh, get to know me, just like those guys got to know each other. So they got to know what their weaknesses, what their strengths were. They could help each other in battle because they would know this is a weakness or strength for them. Karen does that for me. She knows my weaknesses and strengths, and I know hers. You know, I know that when her mom's coming over, we pray extra hard before her mom comes. And, you know, she knows that when I'm busy, we pray extra hard that I get to bed on time and that I don't eat too much chocolate and watch too much TV. You know, like, she knows my weak points and loves me, and that's just such a powerful weapon that I receive God's love through her when she knows my weaknesses. You know, it's the same thing when we repent to God. You know, in in strongholds with the shame that causes us to hide. You know, shame causes us to hide. Shame is from the enemy. And so as I'm talking about these hidden sins, if you're feeling shame, that's from the enemy. Shame causes us to hide. God doesn't bring shame. He brings conviction, and this is how it goes. When God brings conviction, I think, I want to change that. I want to pray more. I want to... He brings conviction, and I, my spirit is in agreement with him. Yes, I want to stop doing that sin. Shame says, what are you doing? You've done it again. You're such a bad person. What are you doing teaching Sunday school when you've just done, and done that sin? You know, you can't be teaching Sunday school when you just did that sin. You know, like, all that accusation, all that shame, that's the enemy, right? So when we talk about strongholds and coming to God, we can know that he's safe because he's the one that's saying, you can do it. I love you. 
Come and walk in the light where the enemy can't have a stronghold. Come and confess and repent, you know, to a friend who's going to help you because it's in the light then. The shame can't grab you and pull you back. I love how God talks to us and how he gives us weapons and how we get to be there for each other. So how do strongholds get established? So first, they may have the root in generational sin, which we just talked about. Um, and I want to talk about, uh, as I was preparing this, God just prompted me to share this one. So um, because I work with kids a lot, I know that um, some children have a stronghold of masturbation in their life, but they don't know what masturbation is, and that's obviously from a generational thing because they're too young to know anything about it, and it's a false comfort. So I find that the parents who talk to me about that, often there's, um, they're having struggles with finding a job or uh, fighting with each other. Like, there's struggles in the home that make it um, just difficult. You know, sometimes life is difficult, and the kids are not receiving the comfort that they need. And so they go to this false comfort, and that is generational. And so sometimes then, well, not sometimes, often, because the parents don't know what to do about it, then that stronghold of masturbation continues on into the adult life. It has its roots in generational sin. Right? So that's just one example of something that has its roots in generational sin. So second, strongholds begin in rebellion when we choose to do wrong. Right, when we know that it's wrong, but we choose to do it anyway, and we give the enemy permission to come in. And I so appreciate Anna's dream that she shared with us about um, the judgment room and about God showing us why we do it wrong, because it's so easy when we recognize rebellion in our life to come under shame, and that's not God. He wants us to recognize rebellion, confess, repent, and walk under conviction. I want to change that. I don't want to be rebellious anymore. You know, because, again, God knows that we're immature, right? That we haven't matured fully yet. And that immaturity sometimes leads to rebellion. I don't know if your children ever have said to you, I'm not listening. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Right? There's rebellion. There's full-out rebellion right there. little rebellion in your house, <laughs> you know, going on against your authority. Like that's, that's how we are with God, you know. I'm not doing and he says, oh, yes, you are. It's bedtime. <laughs> Time to go to bed, you know. Whatever it is, you know, there's rebellion. Also, um, strongholds often begin in the mind with an ungodly belief. So we talked about ungodly beliefs um, the last fire week, and I'm just going to do a quick review because I think this really happens so often with strongholds. Um, an ungodly belief is a belief we have that's not from God, doesn't line up with the word of God. So, for example, an ungodly belief is um, God is not loving. I will never be able to change. Um, I will never have enough money. I'll never be able to lose weight. Uh, I'll never get a good job. I'll never be promoted. Um, again, never is very a big word in ungodly beliefs and in intervals. Okay? So what happens is we have an experience. So, for example, my experience is that when I was small, when I went to my grandmother's house, we got cookies. That's the experience, right? Cookies. And the experience leads to a belief. So, I believe that uh, my grandmother has cookies in her kitchen and will give them to me when I go. 
And that leads to the expectation when I come to her house, I expect cookies, you know, because she's grandma and that's what's happened before and I believe it. And so that leads to me to an action where I stand around her kitchen when I first come in because that's where the cookies are, you know. And then that leads to my behavior, leads to her behavior. Oh, yeah, Amanda's waiting for cookies. <laughs> and so she pulls them out and I get a cookie, which leads to my experience. I get cookies at grandma's house. You know, and this is what happens in strongholds. We have an experience that men are not to be trusted, right? This is our experience, that our father always lied to us. And that leads to our belief, right? Men lie. And that leads us to the expectation that men will lie to me. And that leads to our experience when we are believing that the men in our life are going to lie to us, and they lie, because people lie, <laughs> we're, oh, see, they lied, they lied. Or it can actually create an opening for them to lie, because there's power in what we believe and what we're doing, and so they do lie being around us, which leads to our belief that men lie, and that leads to the stronghold in our minds, men lie, right? And this is a cycle that goes on and on, right? It's the same with... Uh, sexual sins. It's the same with um, not trusting God. It just goes around. And that's the hard thing about strongholds. They're so hard to get out of. Like I talked about the barrage of the enemy. The barrage of the enemy. And we think, you know, I'm never going to be able to stop. I'm never going to be able to stop. This is what we think. Right? It works the same way, though, in the godly belief. Just like I talked about getting cookies from grandma. You know, it, I believe that God loves me. I believe that people are to be trusted. I believe that money is going to come to me. You know, it works. The cycle works for both godly and ungodly. And so those are different ways that strongholds are formed. Okay. How do we recognize a stronghold? A stronghold is stubborn. It's hard. I talked about it. It's hard to get rid of. That's if it was easy to get rid of, it wouldn't be a stronghold. It would be some casual sin, right? It's a re repetitive sin. Right? It's something that we've tried to stop on our own and can't. It's something that we've struggled with for a while. They're uncontrollable. We, we can't stop um, getting out of anger, lying, stealing, watching pornography. Um, yeah. And they're counterproductive and irrational. You know, um, we do something that will help us feel better. It's a false comfort you know, uh, sleeping with our boyfriend or girlfriend or watching pornography, eating too much, watching TV, all the false comforts. You know, we do it because it makes us feel better, but then we get addicted. You know, and if we're using uh, cigarettes or alcohol or drugs, you know, that can lead even to death. It can lead to, you know, it, things that we do to try to help us in the end make us feel horrible and they don't really help. You know, we feel better for a minute or two and then we feel horrible. You know, it's just not rational. So we can have um, the stronghold of lying or stealing or bitterness, rage, anger, slander, malice. And again, just my own personal experience in ministering this, it's often sexual sins, uh, masturbation, pornography, uh, sleeping with boyfriend or girlfriend, adultery. Um, and for women, one of the things that really gets uh, a lot of women are the romance novels um, that go a bit too far. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I find for women that's often a stronghold. Um, or uh, 
uh, fantasy thoughts about some person or some movie star, like a fantasy world for women, that tends to be a stronghold that I've seen quite a bit too. Okay, I'm gonna skip down. I wanna come back to, I know in your notes next you have how to break strongholds. I wanna do that last, so I'm just gonna skip down to walking in the light. Um, so the good news is God wants us to walk in the light. And I've talked about the uh, strongholds we can have, right? So um, in 1 John 1, verse 5 to 7, it says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I love that because it talks about the fellowship with one another being part of walking in the light. You know, when there's light, there is not darkness. So we in, when we invite God into our secret hidden sins, that brings light, and then there is no darkness there anymore. And John 3, 19 to 21 says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. Um, and 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, he will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of men's hearts. And each time we'll receive praise from God. And in Luke 12, 3, it says, what is uh, said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in inner rooms will be proclaimed from rooftops. There's just so many verses that say, you know, secret sin is not going to be secret anyway. Like, it's going to be revealed. Your secret sin will be revealed. It's just a matter of time. Better to reveal it to a close friend now than have it revealed to who knows who, who knows when, some surprising time later. <laughs> you know, secrets will be exposed. And, you know, now is the time to expose them to somebody you trust to walk in the light. Okay, so how, how do we break strongholds? So we're going to go through these steps and do them. And then after we do them, there's going to be people who are stationed around the room. And you're going to be able to go and confess any stronghold, any secret sin or hidden sin to them. And the purpose of this is that you can walk in the light. These are people who are trusted, who aren't going to break your trust or tell anyone else. This is so that they can help you break the power of the secret so that you have power to walk in the light. It's very powerful, very powerful. So we're going to start with identify. So the first thing we do is to identify the specific behaviors that have kept us in bondage. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would show us right now, what is it you want to deal with today? Is there anything that we don't know, Lord, you want to show us? Okay. So right now, we're going to confess and repent to God. 
and then later you have the opportunity to confess and repent with someone else. So right now we're just going to say to God, you know, God, I confess for this sin. I repent of this sin. of being critical, Lord, or of speaking negative words. You know, God brings conviction when we repent. It's important to take responsibility for our sin, no matter what the reasons for it for our choice, for our rebellion, to own it, to admit it was wrong, you know, without excuse. And when we repent to uh, people, as Canadians, we want to say to them, oh, it's okay, I have the same problem. You know, but in this case, when we repent, we're just repenting um, full out with no excuses, with no, you know, and the people listening are going to minister God's love, saying, you know, in Jesus' name, I forgive you. You are forgiven. You know, it's an owning of what we did wrong. Okay, the third step is to forgive anyone who wronged us and to forgive ourselves. And if we have any anger toward God, to release it and to commit ourselves to trust in him. So Lord, we just forgive those people who hurt us. especially parents, we forgive them. They owe us nothing, not even an apology. They do not have to pay that debt. We've released them from it. Bless them in Jesus' name. And Lord, I choose to forgive myself. You have forgiven me. And so I choose to align myself with you. I will no longer hold this sin against myself in my mind. I will no longer accept the thoughts of the enemy on this subject. <laughs> Forgive myself. And Lord, I'm so sorry where I've been angry towards you, blaming you for this. Forgive me for that, and would you take away that anger? And also, Lord, would you help take away the anger I have towards the people who hurt me? So now we're going to renounce the sin. So um, you can uh, say out loud after me. I renounce the sin of, and then tell God what it is. Mm -hmm. And we close the door in any area where the enemy has gained entry. And the next step is we use the authority that is ours to pull down the stronghold in the name of Jesus. So you can repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I pull down the stronghold of, and tell Jesus what it is.
You know, oftentimes there are uh, demons who are empowering that stronghold or attached to that stronghold. So we're going to command them to, to leave. Uh, and this is, um, you take your spirit and with the authority of Jesus. So we say, in Jesus' name, I command any demons associated with the stronghold of, and name the stronghold, to leave in Jesus' name. Now. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us break through the wrong behavior and thought patterns and to place them with a new godly pattern. So Jesus, would you just come and show us the new godly thought patterns? So if it was, I can't trust men, the godly pattern is, uh, with God's help, I can trust men. and we replace the old with the new. We're gonna take some time later probably to think through what godly thought process beliefs or practical actions you need in order to replace what has been operating until now. So if there's been a sin in your life that's been a false comfort, you need to get true comfort from the Lord, from friends and family, from somebody you trust. Right? If comfort is what's been driving it, then we're gonna ask God, would you come and comfort me? Help me to receive comfort from my friends and family. If it's pain that has been driving the stronghold, because pain seeks pleasure, right? We ask God, heal us of our pain. Maybe we go through these sorts of weekends to get healed of the pain. What is it that we need to do to replace the old? And then we allow the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ by yielding to him every day. So Holy Spirit, would you help us every day? Every day. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning because I so need them every morning, God. <laughs> I'm so glad it's every morning and not every other day. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Jesus, for your mercies that are new every morning. And Holy Spirit, thank you for conforming us to the image of Jesus. Thank you that you're working when I don't even know it that you enable us to walk free and in power. Thank you that the power is broken of the ungodly stronghold. Number 10 is to study and know God's word. As we read his word, we know more of who he is, more of who we are. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Especially now that we know we have such power we have the power to do that, that we have people who will help us, 
that, and this is important, if we fall again, we're not going to slip into that old cycle because the power is broken. If we slip again and we say, I'm sorry, God, we get up and walk again. Right? We're not going to stay down like we used to because now we know we don't have to stay down. We don't have to be a slave to that sin. We can walk in freedom. It's so much better. Uh, thank you, Father, that you are light, that you help us to walk in the light, that we don't have to do it ourselves. Thank you. Thank you so much that you've given us your son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to help us. Thank you for the church who comes around and supports us and helps us. Thank you for friends and family who love us and show us your love. Thank you that um, we can have godly strongholds, that with these weapons that you have given us, we can be the ones who are shooting the barrage of artillery. We can be the ones who are advancing. Okay, so um, uh, John and Eleanor, if you guys want to uh, come and stand in your spot. <laughs> and Anna, 